0: If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Revelation chapter 2, I shared a message similar to this message about five years ago, and I thought it was appropriate as we are starting our event today. You know, as a pastor, God wired me a little bit different than most, and if you haven't figured that out yet, you will. Just give it a little bit of time. Uh, You're finding some things about me that you thought, man, this guy's strange, he's crazy. True, two hands and a foot. But as such, like many pastors, I don't like to just walk into every service and do church. A lot of churches, yeah, they kind of do their thing, and I know churches across America, I know a lot of pastors, there's a hallway off the side door, they walk in two minutes before the service starts, as soon as it's over, they pray, walk out, and you never see them again. Y'all know I'm not that way. I kind of love our church a lot. And uh, there's no other church I'd rather be a part of. I just the truth. It's a God-honest truth. I, I, I've said for many years, pastors don't leave because everything's great. You know, it just takes them a little bit of time to figure out what all the problems are of the church they went to. Uh, that, that pastor or that church was looking for a pastor. It's probably because they had issues with that pastor, and there's issues that aren't dealt with. I love my church. It's not perfect, but I love it. And uh, I would just soon be here than any other church. I think Sundays are the best. Most Sundays I don't get home till an hour and a half after the service. Uh, I just love mingling with people. It's a day that people want to catch you and say this or that, do you ask a question about this or that. I'm just here almost every Sunday for an hour, hour and a half. Most of weeks my family's already starting to eat. They're doing their thing, and then I make my way over, and then I, you know, clean up the dishes, you know, with what's left. You know, that's not that bad, really. But... Uh, I love being at our church, though it's not perfect. But you know, every once in a while, God reveals to us as pastors that things aren't as they should be. And when that happens, I have a choice to make. Either ignore it, say, well, we just go on doing the status quo. We can ignore it and just say, well, it'll get better in time. We can ignore it and say, well, it's really not that big a deal. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's some things that we got to address from time to time. And I've said for many years, one of the things that is probably not the best scenario in our church is evangelism. I mean to tell you, I'm I'm guilty. I mean, there's times when I look back in my life and say, "Man, I had all the boldness, all the power uh, that that one could possibly want," and all of a sudden the next day I was like, "Man, what happened to yesterday?" Anybody else can relate? I mean, there's the day that you want to open your mouth and you feel like you can, and all of a sudden the next day it's like somebody has taped your mouth shut, and you know the Holy Spirit is right there saying, "Open your mouth, say something, invite them, do something." And we, I, I'm telling you, I'm a professional. I can I can match my excuses, justifications, and rationalizations with the best of them. I'm a pro at it. Maybe you are too. But it's time that we got to change these things. Because God's Word tells us in James, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin. And I'm telling you, we have a lot of sin that we don't deal with from time to time. We're really good at not doing the commitment type sins. We don't commit burglaries. We don't... You know, we haven't killed anybody. We haven't stolen from anybody. But what about all the things we should be doing that we've omitted from our life? So when we feel bad about it, but not enough to change it, pray more, but not enough to really do anything about it, we live with a certain amount of guilt, but not enough to really deal with it. God would have us to deal with it. So over the past few months, again, as we've been thinking about this field the field event, it's an opportunity to invite others to know Jesus. It's an opportunity for them to hear how God changes lives. And I agree with what Andy Stanley says. If you ain't got the guts to do it, get them here so I can do it. The reality is there's a world around us that needs to know Jesus. So I don't want to just busy, be busy doing the work of the church. Doing busy work. I want to do things that would grow the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what God has us here for. Not just to enjoy life and the joy of the fellowship, although that's all good. But we really need to be about the Father's business of winning souls. And we're going to see more about that here in a few moments. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. You don't need to turn there. It's not where I'm going to be. But God said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always through the end of the age. Before one can make disciples, uh, people have to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and enter into a relationship with Him. You know, that is one of the reasons He said go. He said go. And literally in the Greek language, it means as you are going. Well, that begs the question, where am I going? Well, where is does the, that you go every day of your life? You might be going to work. You might be going to the grocery store. You might be going to the gas station. You might be doing going to a lot of different places. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, the church goes to work. Who is it in your sphere of influence? The people that you are around every day that need to know that you know Jesus. Who is it that you are right beside at work that needs to know that you know what it means to know Jesus? That you're on your way to heaven one day when you die, and all of us are going to die at some point. We don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know when Christ is going to come. Are we ready? The reality is, who's around you that needs to know that you know Jesus? You know, when you go to the grocery store, you know, my kids think I'm weird. I'm just telling you, and I've verified that over and over again. But when I go to the grocery store, when I'm up at Wegmans, I'm telling you, if I see somebody who's of a different nationality, different ethnic group, I'm going down that line. And I always play this game. Let me guess what country you're from. And my kids are like, oh, there he goes again. I know I'm weird, I'm telling you I'm weird, but you know what, 98% of the time I'm right. But you know what it does? It opens up a door of opportunity and a, and a conversation. And especially now that I've been to several countries, it is a great opportunity to use the experiences that you've had, and every one of you know people that I don't know. You have an ability to reach people that I will never reach. What are you doing with that sphere of influence? Often well, oftentimes if there's not somebody that I don't recognize or, 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 or as far as an ethnic group or a nationality, I'll find somebody that I've been down their line. There's a, there's a deaf lady that works up there. And if she's there, a lot of times I'll go down her line and I'll use that little bit of sign language that I know to say, hey, how are you? Are you good today? Just a little something. And you know what? She appreciates it. You know what we're doing? Building relationships. Making investments into relationships. A lot of times investments don't yield right away. You're not paying into a, a 401k for three years now all of a sudden ready to retire, right? It's 30 years of paying in. Sometimes you need to make investments into the li- hearts and lives of people over and over and over again before it begins to yield some fruit. The reality is you've got to start somewhere, folks. You've got to use the influence that God gives you. Some of you go out to eat and you have that waitress. And by the way, I hate going out to eat with pastors and Christian people. They're the worst tippers and they're the biggest gripers. I'm serious. It's irritating. I don't, there are certain pastors I refuse to go out to eat with. They are going to find something about that meal that they're going to gripe about. Shame on it. It's not the waiter's fault. She didn't cook the food. And I found if you just make a statement, ask a little question politely, they'll fix it. Then we walk out and don't tip them. Oh, by the way, here's a tract. doesn't work that way. The reality is, we ought to be the best examples. We can't always control the circumstances, but we can control how we act, react to them, right? What about the places you go with the? What about your neighbors, your friends, your relatives? Do they know that you know Jesus? Your next door neighbor that lives a mile down the road, do they know? Man, I have been trying to reach these, some of these people around us for a while. Some of them keep me right here. I asked my brother to pray for Dan, Dan, Daniel and Dan, Danielle. Daniel and Danielle, husband and wife. Just in the last month, we started having more conversations than I've had in two years. Little by little, it's investment. It's opportunity to reach into a life. The gas station. You go to gas, get gas. Do you leave them a track? Do you talk to them? Do you invite them? School? But we, as the church, are going. Are we looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Are we looking for opportunities to plant some gospel seed? Are we looking for investment opportunities into relationships are we at least looking so i want to share a few thoughts as to why we aren't looking for opportunities to share the gospel and really why we aren't living gospel-centered lives i'm just going to share a few things and i will get into revelation chapter two in a few moments let me just give you a few things that i've experienced and maybe you can relate number one some people are scared or fearful to share the gospel anybody else been afraid to share it my hands up there are times i've been afraid i remember growing up at woodcrest baptist church in fridley minnesota knocking on a door and all of a sudden this big guy he was about three times my side i know that's hard to imagine but three times my side big old leather coat and hair halfway down his back what do you want um <clears throat> i'm telling you there have been times i've been scared to death and it seems like those are the times that god works I've been scared. But Acts 1 8 says, But you shall receive power. And uh Second Timothy 1 says, He's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Number two, some people feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. You ever thought, well, I just don't know all the verses. I just don't know what I should say. I'm not sure how they're going to respond, so you know, once again, I just better you know, they might ask me questions I don't know the answers to. That's where you rely on the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you an example of one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Because remember, we all have a story if we know Jesus. Remember the woman at the well? She, I mean, she was there. I mean, she was getting water for her family and she was bringing all these pots and buckets to fill up. And uh, she all of a sudden got saved and all of a sudden, you know, she went to Jerusalem Baptist Theological Seminary and then on to Divinity School and then she went out and told everybody, right? Doggone it all. She just dropped her water pots and started going town to everybody. She forgot what she went there for. She simply told others what happened to her. And she went around the town and says, man, Jesus, I met this guy and he knew everything about me. And it, it consumed her. She didn't go get training. She didn't learn all the Bible verses. quote unquote. She didn't have all this extra you know, mentoring and coaching as how to do this. She simply went out and told other people what happened to her. If you've been saved, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have a story to tell. Are you telling it? Not everyone's going to believe. Not everybody believed her, but she said many believed. Some people will believe. But you know, the outcome is not up to us. It's not up to us whether or not someone really puts their faith and trust in Christ. We are just conduits, we are just people that God works through. How they responded is between them and God. God never called us to control the outcome, He called us to be obedient. Some people are just too busy. They've deemed other things more important or of greater priority than the sharing the gospel. I mean, God's, God understands. I have a job. I got things to do. I got a family to feed. I got kids to take care of. And, you know, I got I got I got things, yard work and, and housework that just got to get done. God understands. I mean, he, he he I mean if God was here, he'd understand exactly what I'm going through. It's all good. He gets it. Which one, which excuse are we going to rely on to get us through it all? Or, unfortunately, some people just don't care or are ashamed of the sharing of the Gospel. Romans one sixteen, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Why? For it's the power of God unto salvation. He says, I'm not ashamed. And if He's not ashamed, we should not be ashamed. And unfortunately... In every church in America, there's always those people that have been there for 35 years. say, well, is that really a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. But it can be a bad thing if your entire environment is only around other Christians and you've lost touch with the outside world. I've been to church for so long that the only people I ever talk to are just other believers. You need to get out of your comfort zone. Take a step out into the real world. In Revelation chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to make a couple of points about this verse and then I'm going to go into another direction and then come back to it at the end. In Revelation chapter 2 it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, This is what the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says. I know your deeds and and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot bear with those who are evil and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You also have, grown, have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds that you did at first. But if not, I'm going to come, I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. He says, first of all, I know. Verse 2. I know. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider? That God says, I know. As he's talking about the church of Ephesus, I know. He knows about the church of Harvest Bible Fellowship. He knows about this church on Calkins Road. He knows everything about Remember, it's not the building. It's not the structure. It's us. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We're the ecclesia, the called out ones. He says, I know everything there is to know about you. See, there's oh, last week as Sharon came, I said, you know, we can hide things from everyone around us. We can hide things from our family members. We can hide things from our employers. We can hide things from our, go- or from our friends. But we cannot hide anything from God. He says, I know. And we can come to church every week and bring our Bibles and look the part and dress all up nice and, you know, talk to our friends and every, hey, how's it going? Pat answer great and kind of give the air that everything is just good. And yet we know that in our hearts, we know that there's things that are not right. And God says, I know. This about you. But here's the amazing thing, and I think this is how we can so how so many of us relate to this. He says, uh, he's not saying that they weren't doing anything. He wasn't saying, well, you're not doing anything at all. And we're not a church that's not doing anything. I mean, after all, we're doing some things. I think what he's drawing attention to is. Something about how they were doing it. I wonder oftentimes if we just do things out of duty. Well, no one else is going to do it, so I guess I'll do it. Did you know I'm not going to twist anyone's arm to do anything? Because if, you guys, if I have to twist, it, twist your arm to do it, i got to keep twisting it to keep you doing it. And when I stop twisting it, you stop doing it. I would rather you do something because God has burned you to do it. And when you submit to God... You're making a commitment to him, not to me. Or to any other leader in the church. Why do you do what you do? Don't do it out of duty. Don't do it because no one else will do it. Do it because God's burdened your heart to do it. Verses 5 and 6, he says this, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. But if not, I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Remember how far you have fallen. He says, it's like when you first got saved, man, you wanted to get involved. When you first learned about Jesus, you said, man, there's something different. There's like a load lifted, uh, you know, and pastor can say, well, hey, I need some nursery workers. Oh, pick me, pick me. I got this. I'm going to do it. 20 years later, it's like, hey, I need a nursery worker. Someone else will do it. Why? Because we've left their first love. It's not about what we're doing. It's who we're doing it for. I I can remember when we needed nursery workers, I said, I need somebody who's got a Ph.D. in three-year-olds. I'm telling you. I remember my first year teaching junior high in Mifflin County Christian Academy. My wife was teaching first grade. Good Lord, bathroom break every hour. I couldn't do it. I'm, just, I'm not wired that way. But if God said do it, I'd do it. There was a time when you do anything for God and His church, but now it's, if it's convenient, if I have time, if no one else does it, then I'll take that step forward. We've left our first love. We've forgotten what it means to draw close to God and to walk in obedience. And to say, God, whatever you want from me, that's what I'll do. I used this illustration about six years ago. I'll share it again. Ladies, imagine that your husband came home one day and says, I just don't love you like I once did. But nothing's going to change. I'll still earn a living. I'll go to work every day. I'll pay the bills. I'll make sure there's groceries. You know, we'll sit together in the living room, watch some TV together. We'll sleep together in the same bed. I'll still be the father of our children, but you just have to know, I, I just don't love you like I used to. Just just so you know. Would that be good enough for you, ladies? No. I mean, after all, you'd be devastated. you begin to say, well, is there something else, or someone else that you're more in love with? Is there someone else that you've, god on the side there'd be all kinds of things that went through your mind right if your husband came came home and says i just don't love you like i used to and yet practically that's what we do to god and yes there's something else on the side because god's word says where your heart is there will your treasure be also and you can flip it where your treasure is there's your heart The reality is your your focus and your time and your energy is in other areas more than it's on God. Telling God, I don't love you like I used to. It's not good enough for Jesus. He wants a relationship, not a performance. And Jesus says, remember that song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling? Kind of date yourself just a little bit. But it's true for so many of us. You've lost it you've replaced it with other things that you deemed important or necessary. We must love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37-39. It doesn't matter what else we obey. If we fail to keep the highest commandment, we've struck out leaving our first love. Can I just say it? If our love for Christ is cold, it doesn't matter how faithfully we serve Him. If our love is cold. Love is the greatest motivation for our obedience. Moms, why do you serve your children? Because you love them. Dad, why do you go to work every day to provide for your family? Because you love them. Love is our greatest motivation. And if we love God as we ought, or if we obey God as we ought, it's because we love Him as we ought. But if you don't love Him, you won't serve Him as you ought and until we love god as we ought we'll never obey him as we ought and the whole synopsis of revelation chapter 2 is remember repent and return remember where you once were repent because you're not there and return to where you once were i don't know about you but that's convicting because i think there's aspects of all of our lives and once again i'm a professional justifier rationalizer excuser i can make the best of along with the best but the reality is if i'm not where i was if i've been backsliding it's time to get going again i want to call you back to matthew 28:19. it's the word go or as i've suggested as you are going i would submit to you today that as we are going we need to pray Pray. and i think there are three attitudes to consider as we consider those without a relationship with jesus christ number one it's the attitude of jesus towards the lost it's found in john three sixteen seventeen. 17 you know it for god so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated His love and proved His, love, His own love in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If it was important to Jesus Christ, it ought to be important to us. Amen? If it was important for Him to love the lost world, it ought to be important to us. And once again, that means for many of us, we have to step outside our comfort zone, go outside the walls of our, man, I tell you what, many years ago, Reader's Digest t- did a big old scenario or article on how we are a closed door society. Reader's Digest says, listen, we are such a closed garage door society. He says, every day we back out of our garage, we go to work and we come home from work and we pull up next to the, to the mailbox, get our mail, we open the garage door, we go in, the door shuts and we don't have any contact with the outside world. We are a closed garage door society. How many houses today are built with a porch where you can sit out and talk to people? And how many people are even walking the sidewalks to even say hi to them? Unless you go down to the city, but ain't nobody going down there. Let's be honest. That's an area we don't touch. And we sit in the privacy of our home every minute we can. Why? Because we deserve it. We've worked hard today. We've enjoyed it. And we have no interest in talking to the unsaved world. If God has sent His Son out of love and demonstrated love to the lost world, should we not be doing the same? He so loved the world that He died for the world. And let me just say this, the definition of love, love is a decision that results in action. I can say I love, but what is the proof of it? Actions speak louder than words said many times, your walk walks, your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Actions speak louder than words. So there's the attitude of Jesus towards the lost, is that he loved them. What was the attitude of Paul towards the lost? In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. Paul said, I desire for people to see Jesus. That's why he could say in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said, I want people to see Jesus in me as I'm out and about. Paul's attitude towards the lost is that he said, I want them to see Jesus. I want them, I want them to know salvation. Let me ask a question. What's the attitude of the unsaved world? I think God gives us four Scriptures that really answers that question. The attitude of the lost world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. They don't get it. The unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God. They're not going to. Use the illustration of a little baby in Gerber. Let me just tell you, Gerber, food is nasty. Disgusting. I mean, what babies, you know when given a spoonful of asparagus says, "Whoo!" Woo!" <sighs> right? Peas? Come on now. Butter squash No, it, 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 I'm telling you, even if it looks like something that should be good, it's still disgusting. Babies don't want what they need. They want what they want. Moms, tell me if I'm wrong, but don't you give them the disgusting tasting stuff first before you give them the little strawberry and peach pie cobblers type stuff? Why? Because you got to get them to eat what they don't like before you can eat what they do like given the first one they're not going to eat the second one that's disgusting the unsaved world doesn't know what they need we have the answer amen we know and they don't always understand it says very clearly the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from god's spirit because it's foolishness to them there is a world around us that says hey that's that's a bunch of bunk. It's okay. God never called us to control the outcome. He called us to be obedient. Second Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Yes, their minds are blinded. Blinded by a lot of things. And so were some of ours before we came to Christ. 2 Timothy 2.26 then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. Is that not the case of the unsaved world? Look no further than politics, the news. There's a world around us that's dying, going to hell. They're captivated by the mind of Satan to do what Satan wants them to do. Are we shocked? We shouldn't be. That's the world we live in. And Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 says, For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see And hearing, they do not listen or understand. (laughs) Parables. I've said it over and over. The unsaved world does not understand what a testimony is. But they can relate to a story that changes their life. Right? Jesus understood that. It's a story that drives home a point. So how then should we pray? First of all, Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. First of all, we should pray for workers. It says then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when He saw the crowds, He felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, A harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His field. Romans 10.14 But how can they call on Him who they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? I would suggest that as we are praying for workers, we also pray, Lord, would You use me? God, would You open a door for me to serve? God, I don't want to just pray that You send someone else, because that's easy, but God, would You use me to do Your work? Not only pray for workers, but number two, pray for boldness. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the Gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak to Him as I ought. He says, pray that I would speak with boldness. We need to pray for boldness. If you're fearful and timid and shy, it's all good. Because it's not your skill, your ability, your oratorical communication skills. It's God working through you. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be a good talker. Pray for boldness. God will give you the words. Acts 1.8 says, you've already been given power go out and do it acts chapter 4 verse 29 through 31 says and now lord consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness let me stop right there he says now lord consider their threats let me ask you a question are there a world around us they're going to threaten us in some way if we preach to them the gospel yeah it's happening all over the world not so much here but in other parts in other countries yeah it's huge they open their mouth there's a death threat there's a possibility of dying we don't have that here. Well, they may not like me. Get over it. But here's what he says And grant that your slaves. Who's the slave here? Think about it. Who's the slave? Somebody. We. We are. Thank you. Those of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are his slaves. He said, Lord, grant because of the threats that your slaves would have boldness to speak. Who are we enslaved to? The things of the world or, the, or God Himself? Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand for healing, signs and wonders to be formed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. See, as they prayed for boldness, God gave it to them, and they spoke with boldness. Number three, pray for opportunities. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison. Let me ask you a question. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I don't want you to just be honest with yourself in your own mind this morning. Just be honest. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. Every one of us. You have people that you're around on a regular basis. Maybe it's 8 to 10, 12 people. Maybe it's a family influence. Maybe it's a neighbor influence. The influence, all of us has a sphere of influence. When's the last time you prayed for one of them to know Jesus? Don't, let me, let me me say it this way. I know that there are some of you that are doing that. But I also believe that there's a bunch of us that are not. When's the last time we opened our mouth and prayed by name for those around us in our sphere of influence that they may come to know Jesus? Once again, I'm a professional, excuse giver, rationalizer, justifier. I can come up with a lot of reasons why I don't always do that. But let's be honest this morning. Why aren't we doing it? He says, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message to speak. Well, Pastor, I live it out. They know that every Sunday morning I go to church. At some point, you've got to open your mouth. At some point, you've got to go beyond just our actions. Actions are great, but you've got to add to it what you're doing, what you believe. Pray for clarity and understanding in God's power. Colossians 4.4, so that I may reveal, to, reveal it as I am required to speak. Acts 26.18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified. Oh, wait a minute. That's an interesting phrase. Share among those who are sanctified? Who are the sanctified ones? But you know, fill the field is evangelistic. It's for those who don't know Jesus. He says, and share among those who are sanctified. That means those of you that do need Jesus, or, or do have Jesus, you need to hear the stories and be encouraged as you invite others to come know Him too. It's not just for the unsaved, it's for the saved as well. You know, the word sanctified means that those that are set apart, those who have been made holy, those who know Jesus. It's important for you too, so that we never forget what God has done for us. So that we never forget where God has brought us from and where He's taken us to. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a power demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I'm not going to persuade people. I'm asking God to do that. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. Next, pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.37 says, When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? We need to pray for conviction. Sometimes we know what the truth is. And sometimes people understand what the right and wrong is to do, but they need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to follow through on it. Pray for ears to hear and a heart to believe. Matthew 13, beginning of verse 3 says, Then He told them many things in parables, stories, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell upon the path. Other birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky ground where there was, wasn't much soil, and they sprang up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. Still others fell on good ground and produced the crop, some 100, some 60, some 30 times. What was sown? Anyone who has ears should listen and Jesus, why did he use parables? Why did he use stories? Well, verse 10, Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not yet been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him And he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. We need to be praying for ears to hear and a heart to believe. Stories. Stories that they could understand. Stories that he wanted them to know. And then lastly, pray that the Father would draw them, and that they might have faith to believe. John six forty four says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day." We need to pray that Father would draw them and that they might have faith to believe. Question is, would you make a commitment to pray? I said I was going to end back where we started, in Revelation chapter two. So if you would turn back there, if you're not there, Revelation chapter two, and remember. He wasn't criticizing them for doing nothing. They were a busy church; they were busy doing things, but their heart wasn't right. And he is questioning how they were, why they're, they're the motives behind it. He says, "I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil." I mean, isn't that us, I mean, we we don't like other people who aren't teaching the truth. I mean, we want to shy away from them. We can put ourselves into this passage, just here and there. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. What does it mean to repent? It literally means to change your thoughts and behaviors and actions. You're going a direction, you're confronted with the truth, and now I have to do something about that truth I'm confronted with. I need to turn my back on it and go a different direction. If I'm not willing to repent, he says there's a consequence for that. What happens if we don't repent? God says, I will remove your lampstand. say, is that really a big deal? Yeah, it is. It's a huge deal. I've been saying for the last several years there are the year before the pandemic, some 19, 18, or 1,900 churches closed their doors for the last time. I know there's a variety of reasons and circumstances and situations that caused it, but I'm wondering how many of them closed because they just quit doing the work of the Lord. God never called us to a certain size. He didn't say you have to be a certain number of people, but He did call us to obedience. it's amazing to me that you go to some of these other countries, there's 20 people under the tree over there, and that's a church. They're not worried about size, not worried about a pandemic. They're just preaching the Word. It's not about the size, folks. It's about obedience. It's about the Spirit of God being at work and being alive. What happens if we don't repent? I heard just two days ago in the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, between here and the Adirondacks, there's 80 churches without pastors right now. You know why so many of them don't have pastors? Well, there's not enough people to really you know, make a difference. I need a church of at least 90. I need a church of a 200. I need a church of 300. Whatever. 80 churches currently, right now, without pastors in the next 200 miles that way. Churches are closing all around us. I have to believe that some of it is because we're not doing God's work. You know, this eventually happened to the church in Ephesus when Islam invaded Turkey and wiped out Christianity in Ephesus. There's no church in Ephesus today, nor much of one in the modern cities nearby. The country of Turkey, where all seven of these churches were located, is more than 98% Muslim today and is a mecca of false teaching and unbelief. Today, the lampstand were removed. What is true in Turkey is also true elsewhere. Hundreds and thousands of churches close their doors every year throughout the world. Christ has removed many, many lampstands over the centuries. This is serious. No light, because there is no love. The church that loses its love will soon lose its light, no matter how doctrinally sound they may be. He says three things. (laughs) Return, repent, repent, return, Get back to doing what I've called you to do. I wonder how many times we make excuses and we just want to continue doing what we're doing because it's convenient. If there's a time in your life when you can look back and say, man, I was more excited about being a Christian then than I am now, it's time to repent and return. It's time to get back to where God wants you to be. Walking in fellowship with Him. Walking in obedience with Him. And before we ever surrender to the Great Commission, we have to first obey the Great Commandment. Love is the motivation. If you don't love God as you ought, you'll never serve Him as you ought. Just fact. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and Mark adds, with all your strength? Do you remember a time when you were closer to God than you are now? It's time to repent, return. I don't know what you may be thinking in your mind right now, but I'm just telling you, this message is convicting because it's convicting to me. Because there's some things I need to do different seems like so much of my life ebbs and flows. There's times that you're doing this and then your times you're down here. Times that you're obedient and times that you're kind of just getting through it. Times that you're on fire and times that you're just existing. It's the mountain and the valleys. It's hard. God never said it was easy, did He? But He's called us to obedience. And James reminds us, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's what? Oh, I hate that word hate that word but it's reality I'm going to ask you to do a couple things this morning number one will you just be honest about where you're at in your walk with God concerning these matters will you be honest I'm just telling you God knows anyway you can hide it disguise it from anyone around you but you can't from God just be honest but then don't just be honest. Do something about it. Don't just be challenged. Be changed. Allow God to change you from the inside out to return to your first love. To step back into that position beside Jesus Christ in close fellowship and relationship with Him. Don't just be challenged. Be changed. Let God do a work in your life. Let's live this out. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the word of God because it's still challenging and convicting to us. We pray, Lord, that you would not remove our lampstand because we are walking in obedience. God, may that not be said of harvest. But Lord, we know that we need to be obedient. We need to... Lord, love you as we ought, because love is the basis for our obedience. Lord God, would you help us to live with a sense of urgency at the world around us? Lord, as we're thinking about this event this week, and Lord, just apart from the event, our daily living, how it ought to be filled with praying for those around us, for boldness, for the Holy Spirit to work, for opportunities to open our mouth, for clarity and understanding. Lord, for hearts to to understand and for ears to hear. God, I pray that we're praying for these things, that we might see doors of opportunity open, that the gospel may go out and people may come to the saving knowledge of you. God, I pray that you would work in hearts. Lord, help us to be honest this morning and help us to be obedient to make the changes where necessary. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment. I just ask that no one be looking around. But every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. And we can be challenged and walk out and do nothing different. That's a choice that every one of us has. But I pray that that would not be our choice. But That we would be challenged and then go out through the help of the Holy Spirit to be changed. To start living with urgency, to start praying as we ought from a heart of love for Jesus. Say, Pastor Ken, God's challenged my heart this morning. There's some things that need to change. I need to start praying more. I need to start loving God more. I need to start making these changes in my life. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes, yes. All over the auditorium. And what that tells me is that all of us, if we're honest, man, we got some things to do. we got some changes to make. we got some commitments to make before the Lord. And only, you can only do it through the help of the Holy Spirit. Just let me tell you, you can't do it in and of yourselves. You're not strong enough. None of us are. But can I challenge those of you who have raised your hand, your heart towards the Lord this morning to take a moment and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for not living with a sense of urgency. God, forgive me for not opening my mouth to share the gospel. God, forgive me for not praying for the lost around me. God, forgive me for being selfish. Whatever the circumstance may be, pray and ask God for his help. Pray that the Holy Spirit would go before us, go with us, come behind us to accomplish His will. Because we can't do it in of ourselves, but we can through the Lord's strength. I can do all things through Christ. Regardless of my speaking skills or my knowledge, all that's irrelevant if the Holy Spirit's at work within you. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Lord Jesus, We thank you for how you've worked in hearts, Lord. Many hands, heads nodding, people acknowledging, Lord, that some things need to change. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit has used its word, your word, to bring conviction. Lord, thank you for how you work. And Lord, I pray that as many have acknowledged areas that need to change, God, that you would just help them through your Holy Spirit to make those changes. God, I pray that we would see souls saved, baptized, added to the body of Christ. I pray, God, that your will would be accomplished in and through what you want to do, not what we want to do, through the Spirit. So, Lord, work in our hearts. Draw us closer this week. Lord, may we see many steps of victory this week. May we see souls saved, and we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.